Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. James White will join us even on the bye week, as he always does. So James and I went through all the first round quarterbacks that were drafted between 2020 and 2022 and compared their situation to the situation that Mac Jones was put in by this Patriots organization. So we'll get into that. We also went down memory lane with James. Some great stuff from his time with the Patriots. I hope you enjoy that. I know I did. I needed to have that type of conversation after the season we're witnessing right now for the Patriots, so that was a lot of fun. The first part of the interview with James, of course, is part of our FanDuel TV show, as it is every week. I also want to get into a Celtics comparison from a team that we've had here locally, and we will get into the Celtics after a win over Memphis, although barely a win. We'll get into that. But before that, James and I talked about Mac and his job status, of course, after the loss in Germany. But if we don't get something early Monday that leaks out through the media or that is reported by somebody in the local media or the national media about Mac Jones, I'm guessing that if they don't leak it out early on Monday, that they're going to hold off on making like the commitment to one of the quarterbacks. But my expectation, as I told you after that game last week and last week at different times, my expectation is that Mac is not the starter. And if it is Zappy, I hope that they give Malik Cunningham an opportunity. That's something we talked about with Callahan, like put in a package for Malik Cunningham. So if it is Zappy, I'd like to see Cunningham as part of this as well. And I would just look at it as I just can't imagine that they're going to go back to Mac because even if Zappy is worse than Mac, I just can't watch the same bad movie again, right? Like, Zappy may turn out to be horrible. There's a reason they were willing to risk losing the player in the offseason. So he may just be atrocious, right? He may just be really bad. But I just can't watch the Mac Jones thing anymore. I'm okay with watching a different version of Mac Jones being bad. It just can't be Mac Jones again. So that's my hope, is that it's not Mac Jones, because at least I want something that could be compelling the rest of the season. And maybe after the first half of the first game Bailey Zappy plays in, 
I'll be like, yeah, actually, I'd like to see Mac Jones again, but I just want something different coming up this week against the Giants. All right, a lot more coming up. Coming up next, you'll hear from James White. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, ordinarily, we're breaking down a Patriots game after, well, eight of them they've lost this season. They did win two of them, but we have a bye week, so you get to watch the rest of the NFL. We got to watch the rest of the NFL on Sunday. So I wanted to kind of look back in terms of the Patriots drafting process of Mac, because I think the most likely scenario is Mac isn't the starting quarterback next year. And I think that he's taken a step back, but I also think there's reasons for it, right? I'm not making excuses for him, but he wasn't put in a good position to win, right? So if you look through the quarterbacks drafted in the first round from 2020 through 2022, I didn't put the 2023 class in here just because... A lot of those guys are like, I can't make a, even though I don't love Bryce Young, I can't make a judgment on him yet because he's in a really bad situation in Carolina. CJ Stroud, I mean, I could probably just say the guy's a stud already, right? (laughs) But some of these guys, it's too early to tell. So let's start with Joe Burrow, who was the first quarterback taken in 2020. So year one, he gets hurt. That same year, they draft T. Higgins. The next year, they draft his college teammate, Jamar Chase, who's already what? One of the five best receivers in the Mm -hmm. NFL, at least in the top 10. And they end up going to the Super Bowl the following season. Obviously, Burrow's a better player than Mac, but I think right away you look at that Bengals situation, they did a lot better job helping their young quarterback by just those two draft picks. They definitely did. I mean, his offensive line was pretty bad in comparison to Mac's situation this year. The offensive line, you know, has been tough. And as we can see, those those hits start to add up and he got hurt his first year. He's hurt this year. So that that's an issue when it comes to that. But you would definitely say the the Bengals, they drafted guys to to help their quarterbacks succeed from the skill position wise. And it definitely paid dividends. You know, obviously T. Higgins already a playmaker. Get Jamar Chase to add on the outside as well, along with Tyler Boyd. I said they've had that, you know, that core centerpiece for these last three, four years. And you can tell, like, they strike fear in defenses. So it definitely helps Joe Burrow a ton. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Like, I totally forgot they have Boyd, too, and he was there, and they keep adding pieces to that team. Okay, so number two on the list is Tua, who was the second quarterback taken in 2020. In his first year, he's has this weird situation with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was almost like a baseball closer. Remember that? They were bringing Ryan <laughs> yeah. Fitzpatrick in to close games. It was bizarre. And I like Brian Flores as a coach, but we can't really argue with Mike McDaniel's been better for Tua. And look, Brian Flores doing an outstanding job yeah. in Minnesota with that defense, but Mike McDaniel was the perfect fit for Tua. Now, they also drafted Jalen Waddell early, and they decided that they were going to trade for this guy, Tyree Kill. So you look at that situation, that's number two on the list. It's kind of inarguable that the Dolphins did a better job than the Patriots. Yeah, the Dolphins did a tremendous job. Like I said, Tua, a lot of question marks first couple seasons, you know, the mismatch with, with Flo. You know, Flo's a defensive coach. You know, they get rid of Flo. They bring in Mike McDaniel, offensive mind, you know, a guy who was confident in Tua, a guy who's going to simplify the game for him, you know, allow him to play to his strengths and do things that he does well, get the ball out quick, throw it in anticipation, and then you go out and get you know, one of the best receivers in the league. You you pay him all the money that he rightfully deserves and is going out there and showing. If you get pieces that are going to help your quarterback succeed, he's probably going to be a lot more comfortable. The game's going to come a lot easier to him. And like I said, the continuity is important too. When you have yeah. you know, a guy within the same system for multiple years, that helps. When you see some of these young quarterbacks, new offensive coordinator every single season, a lot of the time it results in them struggling. 
like like a la a la Mac, obviously, you know, McDaniels to Patricia, now to Bill O'Brien. You know, as a young guy, your your head's spinning and you're trying to go out there and prove things while while still learning systems all throughout the year. It's it's a difficult task. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And Tua, like that was a great idea. And a lot of people criticized the Flores move at the time, getting rid of, and I know there was other stuff involved in that, obviously, too. But a lot of people thought, hey, Flores is a good coach. I think he's going to be a good coach next time he gets a job. But this certainly worked out for them. All right, so that brings us to number three on the list, which was Herbert, the third first-round pick in 2020. And you know how I feel about their coach, Brandon Staley. He stinks. (laughs) I expect he's going to be gone at the end of the season. But they did already have Keenan Allen, who Julian Edelman loves Keenan Allen, thinks he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's awesome. They already had Austin Eckler, who is one of the best receiving backs in the NFL. And then they drafted Mike Williams, too, who they had there. So they had a lot of weapons for Justin Herbert. So and they had to they've had to rebuild that line. They've had a ton of issues. But even if I look at the Chargers, that would be a better situation than the situation the Patriots are in. Yep. Justin Herbert, he was drafted into a really good situation. You know, veteran wide receiver who's been at the top of the league throughout his entire career. Very consistent, a very you know, reliable target, third down situations, red zone, get Mike Williams, you have Austin Eckler. Like they, Their line has, has struggled some. They went out, they've drafted guys like Rashawn Slater at tackle, you know, to make sure the protection is there. Yeah, his situation has been great. He's a guy that he's dynamic. He has the arm strength. He doesn't use his legs a ton, which I think he should use it more because I remember watching him, you know, at Oregon. Pretty sure his last game at Oregon, he played Wisconsin and he ran all over us, which I, like, I knew he was a, a big kid. I just didn't know he was able to run the ball like he did. And he might have ran for over 100 yards on us. So I, I love Rose Bowl, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love to yeah. see him use his legs more in the league. I think he's he's dynamic and he has a speed. But, yeah, another another situation where, like I said, you, you keep reliable targets around your quarterback. Obviously, those guys have been banged up, you know, these last couple seasons. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, been in and out of the lineup. And last year, I thought it was impressive. He, he was out there throwing with – you know, second string, fourth string, fifth string guys throughout the, the most of the season. He was finding ways to get them the ball. You got to give them a lot of credit and him a lot of credit for, you know, going out there and gutting through that. It took a lot of shots, though, with some of his offensive linemen out. Yeah, what's weird to me about Herbert, for a guy with one of, I'd say, top three arm maybe yeah. in the NFL, right? Like you have Mahomes. He's got to be in the top three. Josh Allen maybe. But he's somewhere in the top five, at least, to be conservative on that. He's almost like too conservative. Like he yeah, doesn't really yeah. take a lot of chances for a guy with that type of like Aaron Rodgers did that for years where he wouldn't take chances and it kind of it irritates you sometimes but Herbert's been outstanding I think they've done a better job than the Patriots all right so we can run through the last couple of these a little bit quicker here and then I want to get your opinion on like the the ones that could be the Patriots did a better job okay so Trevor Lawrence I'd say they did a better job because after the Urban Meyer disaster where he's (laughs) partying with co-heads after a game didn't take the flight back (laughs) with the team they went out they get Christian Kirk they get Evan Ingram, and they traded for Calvin Ridley, which was, of course, a really yeah. smart move yeah. considering he was suspended, so he didn't have to give up a lot for him. So I think they And they drafted ETN, so I think they did a better job. And then you look at Trey Lance, that's on the player, right? You have yeah. McCaffrey, you yeah. have Kittle, you have all these guys, all right? Debo, Ayuk. Then you look at Justin Fields. I'll get back to him, but Kenny Pickett, I would say, that's another one that he was 2022 first round. That was better than the Patriots because you drafted George Pickens, you, of course, had Deontay Johnson. It just, Matt Canada, that's kind of like a Patriots thing where he's not a good coordinator. But other than that, they did a pretty good job. So the the close ones would be Justin Fields, who 
I would slightly put Justin Fields' situation ahead of the Patriots now just because they added DJ Moore in the offseason. This is a number one, legitimate number one receiver. Then there's the situation with the Jets, which Zach Wilson, they had line problems, but they did draft Garrett Wilson, right? So, And then there's Jordan Love with the Packers, where that situation may be worse than the Patriots because all young receivers, right, the year prior to him getting the job, when Aaron Rodgers was still there, they had already traded Devontae Adams. So he's playing with a bunch of young guys. But those would be the three. Would How would you rank those in terms of compared to the Patriots? Would you have the Pat situation better than two of the three, one of the three, any of the three? I think you could make an argument the Patriots are the worst, but I would actually just put the Packers behind the Patriots. I actually think the Jets situation was better. And I also think the Bears situation now that they got DJ Moore, because DJ Moore is better than anybody that Mac has played with. I feel like the Jets situation might be right there with the Patriots. I know Garrett Wilson is probably more talented than every receiver that we have on the Patriots, but other than that, I mean they have Alan Lazard. He, you know, he hasn't done much, and I, I couldn't even name you, you know, any of the other receivers that they that they have on their football team. So I, I might put them. You know, slightly behind the page. I, I know how good Garrett Wilson is. He's a guy you could throw it to him. Even single coverage, double coverage, he can go out there and make a play for you. Packers, I don't think their situation is that bad. I think it's hmm. for them. They have to. They're going to grow together. This I I saw this coming. Young core, young receiving core, young quarterback. It's going to take time. Young tight ends. They have two rookie tight ends. I know one of them ended up getting hurt. This, that's a situation where they're all going to grow together. This year is going to be a lot of ups and downs, and probably next year. They, they could possibly take the league by storm. But Romeo Dobbs, you see what Jaden Reed's doing every week. This kid's you know making splash plays, scoring touchdowns. And then Christian Watson, you know, he was hurt early in the year. I think that team can be really good if they build chemistry, you know, if they keep it all together as well. Yeah, but the the Pages, I think they, I think they're slightly above the Jets. I think the Jets situation is just a just a tad bit worse because their offensive line is bad and t- they only have one receiver. They don't have I know Conklin, the tight end. He, he's pretty good. He's he's a fairly reliable target. But other than that, I don't I don't know who Zach Wilson's throwing the ball to. Yeah, and I think so. If I just had the Packers, and essentially you just had the Jets, right? Yeah. You start to look at this thing and how they built around. Not to be disrespectful to back, but a limited quarterback, right? He yeah. doesn't have the biggest arm. He's not athletic like some of these other quarterbacks we've seen across the NFL. If you're out of those, if out of that three year period where we're looking at the first round picks, if you're nine out of 10 of 10 teams that drafted a quarterback in the first round. And you could make an argument that they're last. Like you could make yeah, an argument they're can. ninth or 10th. Like the highest you could get on this list is eighth. If you're the Patriots, right? You're not getting into the top seven with some of what these other teams have done. I think that's the disappointing thing is you felt like they could elevate the player. And unfortunately, this is where the Patriots find themselves. Even if Mac's not the guy, you didn't do him any favors. Yeah, I don't think they... Helped him a ton. Like I said, switching offensive coordinators every year, that's a problem. You know, letting one of his most reliable target, or actually his most reliable target, you let him go to the Raiders in free agency and sign a guy to the same exact deal that he got. That's, I think that was a mistake. And then you don't go out and get, you know, you know, maybe like a DeAndre Hopkins or a draft of, you know, a top tier right. guy in the draft. I think that's, probably a problem too. And then your offensive line has been banged up and playing inconsistent. That doesn't help development of your quarterback in his third year, trying to go out here and prove you know, what he can do in this league. It's, it's definitely a problem. They definitely could have done more to help this kid out. I said, he, he didn't help himself much. 
know, this season, I think I said he was in his own head trying to prove too much. But like I said, the I don't think the Patriots did enough to make sure this year was going to be an improvement for him. And that's the scary part. If the Patriots are going to pay, take a quarterback in the 2024 draft, is the roster going to be good enough? All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. So, James, I just wanted to piggyback off what we were talking about in our FanDuel TV segment there is, all right, so the Patriots, first of all, they did a poor job helping Mac Jones. And I don't foresee Mac Jones being the quarterback of the Patriots going forward. And as we've said throughout the season, Mac's been bad, too many interceptions and all that. But I do think there's a fear from my perspective is, unless there's a whole new front office, are you going to be able to put the proper players around Mac? So I almost wonder, and I heard... The boss, Bill Simmons, talking about this on his podcast. If you're in that top three, or even if, say, you're in the top five and Marvin Harrison Jr. falls to you, do you take the receiver and then see if you can get the quarterback maybe at the top end of the second round if Jaden Daniels is there? Or do you say, hey, if Bill's still here and Bill's trying to save his job, do I say, hey, let's try to pay Josh Dobbs to come over here, even though Minnesota may want to keep him considering... Kirk Cousins, the Achilles situation, and all that. But is there an argument to get the receiver who projects to be like, people are calling him the best receiver since like Julio Jones, Kelvin Johnson coming out of the collegiate level. Does that move actually make more sense than the quarterback? That move that move makes perfect sense to me. I thought this was an option, you know, a few weeks ago. He's arguably, I mean, if he was a, if there were quarterback positions weren't as talented as what it was or what it is coming into this year, he could arguably be, the number one pick, he's he's that good. You know, working at Big Ten Network, I get to watch him, you know, week in and week out, seeing what he does. You know, he's he has the right mindset. He's a he's a team player, doesn't care about obviously going for over hundred yards every single week. He's gonna do his part to help his team win. But I think that's a ideal situation. You draft him at three, there's still gonna be plenty of talent at the quarterback position, whether you, you know, get a guy in the second round or you trade up to the back end. You know, of the first round, if, you know, a bunch of quarterbacks are starting to get taken to get a guy like Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix, you know, Bo Nix, there's, there's a lot of different guys that you can yeah. pick in those situations. And you can still, you know, sign free agents like Josh Dobbs or some other veteran who, you know, may not demand $40 million, $50 million a year. I think there's a lot of things that'll be on the table. And we all know Bill, he's, he thinks a lot differently than many other GMs and coaches. He's going to try and, you know, maximize the amount of picks he's going to get, whether he might, he might trade back on that number three pick right. and, you know, get two first round picks or something. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle this situation. He's definitely going to try and maximize the amount of talent he can get in this draft because it's, it's much needed. Yeah. And the other thing is too, like you look at, as you mentioned, the hundred yard games, he doesn't have them in every game, but he has them in seven of 11 yeah, yeah. when the opposing teams know like, Hey, this is the one guy we have to stop. And not to look, they have a nice running game too, although they've dealt with injuries there. And the other portion to that is they haven't had great quarterback play and he's still putting up these crazy numbers, 13 touchdowns in 11 games, 17.6 yards per reception. He's massive at six, four. And if you look across the NFL right now, and you look at expected points added per play, the top nine offenses, one is San Francisco. They have Debo, McCaffrey, and Kittle, elite weapons. The Dolphins have Tyreek and Waddle. The Bills have Diggs. Eagles have A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith, not as good as he was last year. I don't know if that's him or just the offense. The Cowboys, yeah. CeeDee Lamb's like setting records right now. The Chiefs <laughs> still have Travis Kelsey. The Ravens had Mark Andrews before the injury, which stunk the other night, but he had been an elite tight end for years. The Chargers, we mentioned earlier, they have Keenan Allen. And the Lions have St. Brown, 
and Laporta, who's a stud. So, so and not to mention, they drafted a running back in the first round to go along with David Montgomery, who they already had. So maybe this is the argument. Is like, and some of these teams don't like. Tua is not an elite talent. He's a good quarterback. He's a solid yeah. quarterback, but he's in a good situation with good playmakers. Same thing with San Francisco, right? It was Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy. Not not taking anything away from the kid. Like he's had an outstanding early start to his career. But maybe there is an argument. Like I never thought this would be the case, but maybe there really is an argument for the receiver. And then you find the quarterback later. My only thing is, I would have a really difficult time if it was me and say the pick is three and Drake May's there and Marvin Harrison is there. And if Drake May turns out to be a franchise quarterback, <laughs> that's the yeah. thing that's like, okay, yeah, okay. If you got the next Devontae Adams, that's great. But what if you passed up on Joe yeah. Burrow? Right, like twenty years. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, you'd have a great receiver, but if you don't have the quarterback, so that that to me is, I can understand the argument for Marvin Harrison Jr. because he's so elite. But if May or Caleb Williams is there, I think I would still have to take one of those guys. The other thing is, I just I can't take the stuff on social media about Caleb Williams. Oh, he lost five games. How can you draft him? Pat Mahomes lost seven. Okay, <laughs> hey, Pat Mahomes lost seven games. Okay, <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and his tape, his tape is probably a lot, a lot worse than Caleb Williams. Tape, yeah, so. <laughs> and and Pat Mahomes said, I forget who said this, but Pat Mahomes basically said, like, well, like how he doesn't turn the ball over in the NFL, and it's not like he turned the ball over a ton at Texas Tech, but he took more chances. He was like, yeah, I kind of had to based on. Or your yeah. defense, like we were giving up 50 <laughs> points. So I got to the Chiefs. I didn't have to do that anymore. So I don't know, man, like this has me actually legitimately thinking about it now because of how good Marvin uh, Harrison Jr. is. And I can't wait to see that Michigan Ohio State game yeah. coming up on Saturday. It's going to be awesome. But I think I would still if one of those two guys is there, I would have to take him. Now, the rest of the quarterbacks, I would definitely take him over any of the other quarterbacks. But if one of those two guys is there, I just I couldn't stop myself from taking that guy. Yeah, if you have Caleb Williams, Drake May, it's hard to pass up on those those two guys. Those are two generational talents. And if you if you don't pick them and they turn out to be, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks, you know, of their time or of all time, then you'll be sitting back if you draft a guy in the second round, in the first round, if you know he plays good for a few years and kind of fizzles out, I think you'll be kicking yourself in the butt for sure. I <sighs> The arm talent that Drake May has, I think he'll come into the league. Like I said, he reminds me of Justin Herbert, Caleb Williams. We obviously know what he can do, play on schedule, play off schedule. It, I, I'm, I'm excited to watch him when he gets in the league to see how dynamic he can be because obviously the defenders are a lot faster, a lot smarter. The coordinators are going to scheme him up to try and you know take away some of the things that he does well. But like I said, Patrick Mahomes, he's been in the league for a long time. People can't figure that out. So I think he'll have a lot of success. Um, like I said, he'll get asked about the losses and all that to the ranked teams, which is, is rightfully so. But at the same time, you just watch like that throw he had against UCLA the other day or two days or yesterday, wow, acting like it's so long ago, where he's in the pocket, just flicks the ball 60 yards down the field, right in stride to Jerry Rice's son. I said, you're not going to find that, you know, every single year. That's a once in a lifetime, you know, type of talent. You can't pass up on something like that. But if, like you said, if those two guys are gone, I think the right pick is Marvin Harrison Jr. That's a generational talent at receiver as well. Although the receiver depth in this draft, I think it'll be pretty deep too. You got a guy you know, out of Washington, the Romeo Adunze. You got the neighbor's oh, yeah. kid out of out of LSU. You got some you got some talented guys that are coming out, but I think you know Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the the safest pick when it comes to that. I think he's the most 
NFL ready. Obviously, you know, he has a father who played in the league for a long time at a high level. So, you know, that kid is going to be prepared and ready to go. Yeah, there's a, there's going to be a lot of evaluating, you know, when it comes to yeah. this. So like I said, from guys that are on the roster right now to, you know, whether they're under contract or not, that may not be on the roster. Everything's going to be on the table. Bill's not a Bill's not a loser. Kraft's not a loser. I said, this is the one reprieve. I, this is, They're going to try and write the ship immediately. I don't think it's going to be, you know, waiting two, three years to try and get things right. Yeah, you got Coleman, too, from Florida State. Yep, so, yep. Yeah, stacked. <laughs> it feels like this is every year now that the draft is just going to be stacked with receivers. And by the way, I should give Jamie some credit, too. He's in on Marvin Harrison Jr. He, he brought that up the other day as well. But yeah. So that, now this is becoming like a legitimate question. But it's going to be interesting to see how this thing shakes out in terms of where they end up with draft possession, uh, position, rather. But I did want to ask you this. So Andrew Callahan wrote this week in the Herald that one team source estimated that at least 80% of the Patriots locker room is out on Mac Jones. Another said the vast majority of players are done with him. Both said it's a lack of belief that spreads to both sides of the ball with the shared sense that Jones's worst mistakes negate the best efforts of his teammates. So I was thinking back to 2020 when you guys had Cam Newton, like externally, there were questions like, hey, you're out of the playoff race. Why don't you see what Jared Stidham is? Or if Cam had a bad game, hey, why don't you give Jared Stidham an opportunity? Now, I think we'd find out later that Jared Stidham's probably just not an NFL caliber starting quarterback. He can do in a pinch, right? He can start a game or two. Like we saw last year, he started a game. He actually played well for the Raiders. But it didn't feel like Cam, and you were there. I wasn't inside the locker room. It felt like you guys were always behind Cam. Like the team... Yeah. was never out on Cam. The team believed that Cam was the best option to win games. So what do you think the difference may be with the Mac situation to the Cam thing? Do you think it's the turnovers? Because now Cam wasn't putting up big passing yards, but it wasn't like he was turning the ball over like Mac Jones's. Do you think that's part of it? Because I know it feels like most guys like Mac as just like a dude, right? Like, and people think that he works hard. So what do you think it is where you, to Callahan's report, you lose the majority of the locker room? I like Andrew Callahan. That's my guy, but I, I still I find that kind of hard to believe that the locker room has completely turned on Mac Jones. I think the way the kid comes to work every day, he doesn't you know do too much talking all that. He he comes to work, he prepares. Like I said, the result may not be showing right now, but I don't think he's a guy who you know the defense is turning on or the receivers are turning on. Like I said I'm not in the locker room. There's different guys and what I play with that are on the roster, so it could be different. I just think the guys as a team in total, they're just not playing well. They're not playing together. I don't think you just say, oh, this is Max's fault. He's not performing well. He's the reason why, you know, we're not going out there getting wins. We need to get another guy in there, uh, yada, yada, yada. I don't think that's it. I think, you know, guys, I think I heard, uh, I think it was Jelani Tavai or Dietrich Wise said, you know, we're not playing well right now, but we have a, like a good football team. So I think like, Guys know as a team they're just not, you know, getting it done on Sundays. And it doesn't point to one player. Like when you win, the quarterback gets the credit, the coach gets the credit, you lose, the coach gonna get, you know, <laughs> talked about, and the quarterback's gonna get talked about. So I think that's just what it is, and a lot of the fingers are gonna get pointed at Mac. I don't I just find it really hard to believe that, you know, eighty percent of the locker rooms like forget Mac because who I mean, like no offense to Bailey Zappy, but who like who are you turning to? Like <laughs> Why are you turning your back on that guy? I know he's not performing well, but the next option, you know, he hasn't done enough to show you that, yeah, we should just turn the page and go to that guy. 
Yeah, well, and I think that's the conundrum the team faces, right? Is you were willing, even if it didn't happen, you were willing to lose Bailey Zappi. Even if you had a pretty good idea that you were going to get him back on the practice squad, you cut him. Like, you put him on waivers. Any other team in the NFL could have had him, and they didn't. And Zappi has been really bad in his games that he's played actually in games. And we know that he had a bad training camp and he was horrendous in preseason. So I don't think it's more like, hey, we all love Zappy. I think it's maybe it's more of a, hey, maybe we just need something. Maybe, (laughs) yeah, yeah, maybe Max in his own head right now, because that's what I think. I think that he's just, I think he's overthinking everything, right? And I mean, we saw the interception he threw last week. It's just like, man, like, what are you doing? Like, even if, you don't get a touchdown there. At least you get three points on the board and your defense was stopping Minshew. So you probably still get the ball back, right? So I just, I feel like maybe that's part of it is players think that, I'm not saying they dislike Mac, but players think like, hey, we can't keep doing this, like turning the football yeah. over left and right when it comes to the quarterback. And maybe Mac is putting too much pressure on himself where he feels like, hey, this may be our only opportunity to get a touchdown. Like <laughs> yeah. I got to take a chance. So that could be part of it as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how this like, goes down the rest of the season and what happens with Mac. So I wanted to get your go back in time to when you're not that long ago. I mean, it was what, two and a half years ago to get your time from some of the stuff with you at the Patriots, because we have a bye week now, so we don't have to talk about, hey, what were they doing on special teams? Right. <laughs> so I got a couple of these for you. Who was the team that you guys were not any year, but like over a significant amount of time? Who was the team that you guys were the most worried about? Was it the Ravens? Was it the Peyton Manning Broncos? Like, who's the team that you guys knew? Like, okay, this team, because there was a lot of them where the Steelers, I always thought, no, they're yeah. not losing to the Steelers. Dick LeBeau is going to show Tom the same defense every time, and he's going to rip it apart, even if the Steelers were super talented. But who was the team that you guys were like, okay, we got to be ready for this one? I think the Chiefs, you know, once Mahomes kind of took over and – yeah, obviously we see what he can do with Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, those guys. We always knew that was going to be a tough matchup. You know, offensively, we're going to have to score points. Defensively, they're going to have to get enough stops for us to win the football game. Obviously, we had a lot of great battles with them. And I think the, the Broncos as well. I, I don't think I ever got to play against Manning. I think the year he might have been hurt, got hurt my second year. We played against Brock Osweiler where he – he shredded us up that game. That's the reason he ended up getting paid by the in Texans. 15, right? Yeah, yeah, because he, he shredded us up in that game. I think that that was a team that we knew was going to be tough as well because their defense was elite from secondary, front seven. Like <laughs> like that AFC Championship game in 2015, where they had like eight sacks. But they were like rushing three. We had like eight people in protection. They are still getting to the quarterback in two seconds. So that was, that was always a tough matchup just because of the you know their ability on offense too. Yeah, Manning did play that game. I'm pretty sure, right? In the AFC Championship, I think Peyton did play that game. Or yeah, was I, it, yeah. Thirteen was the one where the Patriots before you were there. The Patriots had no receivers. Like everybody yeah. was hurt. Matthew yeah. Slater was out there playing receiver that game because everybody went down. Fifteen yeah. was the game where Gronk was like open on a two point conversion. Yeah, he made like a ridiculous it. catch in that game too. Yeah. But you're right yeah. about that team because they had. To leave, they had yeah. Chris Harris, they had Marcus Vaughn Blair, Miller. Demarcus like that Blair. defense was loaded. And then <laughs> yeah, on offense, they had a bunch of weapons too, right? Like they had Marcus Thomas. Yeah. They had Eric Sanders. Decker. Yeah. Yeah, they had some guys. Oh yeah. Remember Julius <laughs> Thomas? Like whatever happened to Julius that guy? Thomas he, too, yeah. Yeah, he, he was he, like un- <laughs> unreal. And then he went to the Jaguars and it's like yeah. he stunk. 
Yeah, he got paid. But he actually lived in my neighborhood in, in Florida before I moved out of there. So I'm, I'm actually, oh, really? I'm actually cool with Julius. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. I didn't mean to light him up, but <laughs> it happens, All man. <laughs> All right. So speaking of Denver, cover play or a place you hated to play for more or play in more, Miami or Denver? I'm assuming since you're from Florida, right? Like you didn't mind the heat. So is it Denver? Is like is that all? Is the altitude is it real? Like do you feel it? It, it definitely is real, especially that that game, that 2015 game we were talking about. I had like, I don't know, like 20 targets or something. I was running all up and down the field. Only had like eight catches, though. Like a lot of those targets were just Tom throwing the ball at my feet because the pass rush was getting there. But you definitely feel it in in Denver with the altitude. But I would say we, we played in Mexico City when we played the Raiders there. That altitude was much worse. You would, I went on for like two plays to come into the sideline with grabbing an oxygen mask. So. Yeah, I, I I didn't mind Miami. I, I was used to that growing up, you know, playing in college at Wisconsin and, you know, going to New England. I got a little bit off kilter not being in that heat, but I don't, I don't mind the heat. I, I can handle that. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that Mexico game. That was 2017, right? Because I think yep. Cooks was on the yeah, team. Yeah, Cooks then. was on that team, yep. <laughs> yeah, that was in 2017. I remember that. You guys killed him, though, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> yeah. No, was no competition there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Worst, Bill gave it to you guys like after a loss, like the next, the following Monday. I had a couple nominees and I'm wondering, I mean, I wasn't there. So the Detroit loss to Matt Patricia. I was thinking about the Tennessee Titans last day. Both these are years you guys won the, you won the Super Bowl in 18. And you had, that was a weird season. You were 11 and five. You had the loss. Like I said, the Titans loss was just like, what? And then the the Detroit loss is kind of weird too. But do you remember one where it was like, oh man, like this is bad. Trying to think, what year did we lose to the Steelers? We lost to the Steelers in oh 2016. Was that no? You guys won the 2016. No, that was actually 2018 too. Yeah, they you guys got, lost they, to the Steelers back to back games. Miami yeah. and Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah that one. He that team meme was real. He was he was taking some shots at some people. I, I won't mention. I won't mention who who he was taking some shots at. But yeah, that that was one of those. Those meetings, he was on edge a little bit, and I said the, those bullets were getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that doesn't surprise me because it's like I remember that it was something like you guys had never lost back to back games in December yeah. and like forever, and that was a season. But hey, pulled it together and yeah. won a Super Bowl. It worked out, man. I said that those you need those meetings sometimes. I know it's a different day and age now, but like I said, Bill just wants to hold everybody accountable. He wants you to let you know how important. You know, those small things that he mentions during the week are, and if you don't execute them, probably going to result in a loss. Yeah. Okay. How about this one? How good would Malcolm Mitchell have been? Like, would he be a star receiver on the Patriots right now? Because I I remember the Super Bowl, and at the end of the year, Tom had to start throwing to to him because of the injuries. And he had some big catches, James, in that Super Bowl game. So how good would he have been? Yeah, Money Mitch was – he's on the rise, man. He's one of those – you know, receiver draft picks that I was going to, you know, turn the corner for us, had a big rookie season, you know, playoffs. You know, he got hurt during the preseason, messed up his elbow, played with that elbow brace the entire year. Yeah, he, he'd probably still be on the pages right now. He's a he's a consistent football player, just can never, you know, get fully back, recover. But, yeah, he was a special talent. I think, like, match him up with him, Jacoby Myers, that would have been a good combination for us going forward. Yeah, I felt bad for him because yeah. – 
it felt like he was just getting his career. He really was his rookie yeah. year and never really played again. Felt yeah. bad for him because he was a good player. I mean, he played he and Tom actually trusted him at, yeah. by the end of that season, which he rarely trusts rookies. So that kind of sucked. All right. How about a jaw dropping moment like a guy that you played with where you're like, I just can't, I can't believe he did that. It, it could be like multiple things like yeah. over time. But was there I mean, obviously, Gronk was a freak. But is there anybody that you're like, oh, I can't believe he did that? Ooh, I feel like J.C. Jackson is one of those guys in practice. Like, like he, he gets an interception in the game. He's a guy every single day or every other day he gets an interception in practice. He's a ball hawk, and I say it shows up on game days. I know he it hasn't shown the last couple of seasons with him going to the Chargers, but he's he's definitely one of those guys that jump out at practice. I'm like, dude, this ball comes in the direction. He comes up with an interception. And he just finds ways to make plays happen. Him. I think Malcolm, Malcolm Butler, too. We are the same rookie class as our rookie year. You know, him being, like, on scout team, like, he, like he'd, agitate, he'd agitate Tom, like, on oh, Fridays, he'll intercept Tom. You know, Fridays is, like, one of those days you you don't want to see the ball hit the ground or you know, throw an interception. You just want to have a clean practice. And he picks the ball off of the red zone and runs it all the way back to the end zone. So he, And it, it showed up for him, too. Ended up having a great career. So you definitely see – you know, Bill always talks about a practice execution is game reality. Do it in practice, it shows up in the game. Yeah, didn't did Tom give him like the truck or whatever from the Super Bowl? Didn't he give <laughs> yeah, him something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Malcolm, the, man, yeah. <laughs> the MVP truck, and then he yeah. didn't play in the Eagles Super Bowl. <laughs> think we'll ever get an answer on that, James, or no? I mean, Malcolm's gonna have to say it himself. I mean, I think he's the only one. Him and Bill, the only ones who. I mean, maybe Bill's son, I, I I have no idea. Like I, I didn't realize he was he wasn't playing until probably like halfway through the game. Like, oh, like, where's Malcolm at? Did he get hurt or something? <laughs> <laughs> so is that so were you guys talking about that like after the game? Like what happened? Yeah, or did, you, I mean, was he talking to people about it? I mean, I I probably still you know, to this day, I probably didn't realize the like the majority of the game. I probably just thought he got hurt and then, you know, everybody I think people were texting me like after the game, like why Michael Butler didn't play? He was like crying like during the coin toss. I was like, I was like, huh? Like, like I didn't like see any of that. I had no clue you know, that was going on. But yeah, it's a tough situation. I mean, I think we all would love to hear, you know, what exactly happened. I mean, that would be a great story to tell. I mean, and, hey, make make him a lot of money, make Bill a lot of money to share that that inside information. But and maybe maybe it'll come out on aren't they coming out with a little little docu series? Tom, you know, Kraft and Bill. I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe they talk about it then. <laughs> yeah, because Tom wasn't scared to say something after that. Yeah. I remember he was at like Salem State, I think it was. He was doing a speaking series with his buddy uh, Scratchy there, he calls him, Jim Gray. <laughs> and he said, I, I went up to Malcolm and said, I don't know what defense we would be in where you wouldn't be playing. So, I mean, it's crazy that like nobody knows. Like, I... I like the fact that, like, if I was Butler, I would have, I would have said, like, what the, well, maybe he can't, maybe that's why, yeah, maybe yeah. it's like, maybe it's something that doesn't make him look good. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So we, we don't, know. we don't know. The world, the world may never know until they finally speak out. I, I am kind of excited for that docu series, though. Yeah, Ten yeah. parts, man. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to be covered. A lot of years <laughs> of success, you know, a lot of good players, a lot of, I mean, not many downs, but hey, well, some trials and tribulations, some, you know, off the field stuff, on the field stuff. Yeah, the whole then, Guerrero thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of information that you know, it's the only people, a lot of people within the building know, but you know, the world doesn't know. So it'd be great for everybody to get a glimpse of what it's like, you know, being in that building. Yeah, 
I, I, I can't wait to see it. See what Tom has to say. See what Bill has to say. And Robert, too, because I guess yeah. he's going to Robert yeah, Kraft's going to be heavily yeah. featured in this thing as well. So because yeah. there was a time there in 2017 where it felt like it could crater. Tom was mad yeah. about his contract. Tom was mad about the Guerrero thing. You ever work out with Guerrero, by the way, or no? It felt like he had some weird. Um, like, yeah. I don't I don't want to say weird like ideas, but like yeah. it couldn't really do all that stuff if you weren't a quarterback. Right. Like yeah, if pl- you're like, a, you got to lift. Yeah, you got to lift, lift weights for sure. Yeah, you got to lift weights. I mean. I'm sure there's a there's a place for it. Um, I never worked out with him personally. I know a bunch of guys on the team would go to him for rehab stuff and recovery and all that. He just he just thinks differently than most people. But you see it now more than often. You know more often that there's different guys that have different techniques for rehab and training and all that. Just gotta find what works for you. But for me, I like I I like band stuff and all that. But you still gotta lift weights, especially at the running back position. Yeah, I remember in Tom's documentary, like they were giving Julian Edelman shit about it. And Edelman's like, dude, I, I play receiver. Like, I have to lift some weights. Like, <laughs> yeah, gotta do something. You gotta like, take those hits, man. Yeah, like, I'm getting it. Okay, how about this one? Most underrated player from your guys' run. So I felt like 18, like before 18, you would have been on this list, but your performance at 18 in the Super Bowl kind of like everybody now like appreciates more what you did for the organization, especially that game. So some names I thought about, because I think defensively, McCourty and Hightower get the most of the credit for the second dynasty. Those And Hightower had big games in every Super Bowl yeah. you guys played in, and we all know how great McCourty was. Offensively, and I guess we could mention some guys on the line if you think that, but yeah. the one guy that came to mind was like Danny Amendola, because he yeah. was always better yeah. in the playoffs than That's he was the regular season. That's always yeah. my the, first option. <laughs> that Jaguars game. That, yeah. yeah, he's like crazy. <laughs> and then you think about... We had like the guys who were like, we know about the how good Revis was in 14, how good Gilmore was. He wasn't defensive player of the year. But Patrick Chung, I think, no, kind of gets no, underrated. No. And the other guy that I throw out there that was solid for so long was Logan Ryan. I mean, yep. he always came up with big plays. So out of that, do you have a couple of guys that you think that are underrated from that time? Yeah, I love, I love the Damian, Danny Amendola. love that pick. Pete Chung, you no know, tough, hard nose, tackle, can cover. You know, gets matched up on those tight ends. That's always a tough matchup in man-to-man coverage. But another guy, Deron Harmon, very underrated. Playoffs, call him the closer. So he may not be on the field every single play, but when you know, we're up in the football game, you know, up seven or need an interception to you know get the ball back, he was always one of those guys in the right position. I think he's definitely one of the most underrated Patriots while he was there. I think just because he, you know, Devin and Chung were on the field probably, you know, 95, 99% of the time, but when we got in those third down situations, he was on the field. He always made an impact. And I, I love Logan, too. Logan was the versatility that he had playing outside corner, inside corner, being able to blitz. He was always dynamic. Yeah, and he got the big – who did he get the big payday from? Tennessee, too? Tennessee, Him yeah. and Butler? Yeah. Yeah, he got the big payday. He was good. Yeah, Deron Harmon, that's a good one. All these guys from Rutgers, man. You guys yeah, had so many – Rutgers, are you – <laughs> yeah, they lost Ninkovich, Ninkovich too. You can't forget Ninko, man. Ninko, oh, yeah, that's yeah, a good one. Yeah, yeah, Ninkovich. He always just is it not freak freak athlete or anything like that, but in the right spots at the right time, you know, interceptions, sacks. He's a very savvy player. Yeah, Ninkovich is a good player too. All right, so last one for you. Biggest shit talker. I know, like Tom's gonna be up there, but who who was the biggest shit talker from that era? Oh, Julian, number one, Julian. Well, no, <laughs> no, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's Julian Edelman. He's he's a trash talker. Whether it's you know after catching a pass, taking a big hit, 
you know, us not converting on a third down. He's still, you know, talking with somebody on the sideline while the punt team is trying to get on the field. Like I say, you got to have those type of guys on your team who are chippy, you know, gonna gonna talk some stuff and and back it up. If you're gonna talk, you got to back it up, and Julian always did. What about that you played against? I got to imagine like some of the Ravens were very chatty. <sighs> Brandon Graham is actually one of them. Brandon Graham really? and Fletcher Cox. Those are those two of the funniest guys. I, the Eagles were my favorite team growing up, so whenever we played the Eagles, I don't know. I always had a good game against them for the for the most part. And like I remember, that might have been 2018 too. Either 2018 or 2019, we played the Philadelphia on the road. There, we went out to the coin toss. When I was a captain, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham were captains. All right, 28. Right, you know what time it is. And like, they knew, like, I always, <laughs> I always like, lit him up. But he, Brandon Graham's a funny guy. He, he jokes, like, all throughout the game. Like, he talks his stuff, but, like, he'd be laughing with you. They like, almost, almost knocked the ball out your hands, like, right there, like, all type of stuff. He's a, he's a good competitor. Been doing it for a long time. He's definitely one of the, like, my favorite people to go up against because he competes hard. He talks his stuff. And he'll laugh, joke. You know, make make it fun out there. Yeah, and he had that play at the end of the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, 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 got it. <laughs> Michigan his on I- Michigan crime. Yeah, his iconic play, yeah. <laughs> that was something. All right, that is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate it as always. That was fun. Uh, next week, we'll have to talk about more Patriots, but that was fun. That, that was the fun part of the Patriots dynasty, <laughs> or the Patriots dynasty. This isn't a dynasty anymore. <laughs> Appreciate you having me over. This year, FanDuel's got something you'll be really thankful for because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. With so many games going on, Thanksgiving is the perfect time to join. So I like the favorites all to win on Thanksgiving, so let's have a little bit of fun with this. We'll take the Lions to cover the 7.5 against the Packers. The Lions were not great against the Bears on Sunday, so I expect a better effort. And then the Cowboys on the money line against the Commanders and the Niners over the Seahawks on the money line. If you want to parlay all those together, it comes out to plus 216. So I like that one on Thanksgiving. Have a little bit of fun with your turkey. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and fill up your plate with parlays and player props all weekend long. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, great stuff there from James White as always. That was fun going down memory lane with James. And how about that? Julian Edelman, biggest trash talker, biggest shit talker. I guess we shouldn't be surprised by that, right? Like Edelman is constantly talking. That's why I think he's already become a really good media member, right? You see him on Fox. He's doing podcasts. He's all over the place. I think that's part of the reason that he's really good is <laughs> the guy likes to talk. There's no way around it. All right. So we're recording this final part of the pod after the Celts barely beat the Grizzlies. They, of course, had beat the Raptors or they beat the Raptors on Friday night. By the way, message to the NBA in Toronto. Get your court figured out. That cannot be happening. Guys were slipping all over the place. It wasn't just Jalen Brown. So that's something that certainly needs to be addressed. And I do want to get into a comparison with the Celtics team. But just a couple of thoughts on tonight. I thought it was just, it was a professional sort of scrappy win that wasn't pretty. I do wonder, like at one point during the third quarter, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were both on the bench forever. I wonder if that was like sort of like a message that Joe was sending because 
I did feel like the effort in the third quarter was not there, but when they needed to dial it up, they certainly did. I feel like the Grizzlies, like they briefly took that lead in the fourth quarter. And I get it. Like it's a Sunday night game in Memphis. You're playing Memphis and Charlotte on back-to-back nights. Like as crazy as this sounds, and maybe you think I'm soft for saying this, you're not going to have your best effort every night. You're just not in a 82 NBA game season. And when you're playing a team that stinks, it's not going to be there every night. And I felt like at times the Celtics, they weren't matching the effort level of Memphis. The different this the difference this year rather than last year is when they needed to make plays, they were able to make plays. And I thought, I give Taylor Jenkins credit. He's a really good coach. They got weird. They started a bunch of big dudes and basically they challenged the Celtics to drive the basketball and they weren't helping. I think the Celtics were almost like surprised by this, that they're when you they were driving past defenders, there wasn't help coming. So the Celtics, they want to get into the paint and kick it out for open threes. And the Grizzlies were saying, no, you got to finish over our size. Now, to the Celtics credit, they did that a lot in the first half, but it was just a weird formula. This is not the way the Celtics ordinarily win games, right? So if you look at it, the Celtics finished the first half with 30 points in the paint. And on the season, Charlotte is number one in the league at 58.3. So on pace to score 60 in that first half. The Celtics got up just 14 threes in the first half. The Lakers take the fewest threes per game in the league at 29.4. So the Celtics were below that. And the Celtics take the most at 44.3. That leads the league. So right away, you could kind of tell like, oh, this is going to be kind of a weird night. You thought you were going to go into Memphis and just completely blow this team out without having to use much effort and get the guys on the bench for the fourth quarter like we've seen so many times this year, the Washington game, the Indiana game. But that wasn't the case because Memphis, I felt like, and I think this is more about, honestly, and Bain was awesome in this game, obviously, but I think this was more about Taylor Jenkins than it was about the Memphis Grizzlies. I thought they came up with a really good strategy, and I give them credit. It's those David-type strategies. Now, fortunately for the Celtics, they come out with the win. So we can get into Tatum every night, although it wasn't a vintage Tatum game. He had, what, 22 points. It was not a great Jalen game. Could not get really any jump shots to go down. So those two guys were not great tonight. They Tatum did enough, and Jalen did enough in this game. And we can talk about those guys throughout the season, as we have already. I just want to point out some other guys in this game and some interesting things that I've noticed over the past couple games. So... It was another awesome, awesome Porzingis game. He has the clincher on the block to end the game. Porzingis was awesome in this game, although he's got to settle down with the technicals. I mean, he's, what's he up to now? Five technicals on the season. So he's got to calm down when it comes to that. But he finished this game, the block to win it. He finishes with 26 points, eight rebounds. And as we said, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, six blocks from Kristaps Porzingis. So just running through some of the stuff that he did in this game. He gets Bane on him on a switch, and Bane is like sturdy. The guy is jacked up. He's actually got the T-Rex arms where, I mean, his biceps are massive, but he's got a negative wingspan, right? You don't see that from a lot of NBA players. Sabonis is another guy, but he's a negative wingspan guy. So he's sturdy as hell, and he's trying to basically deny Porzingis from backing him down. Porzingis is like, oh, this is fine. Shoots a fadeaway over him and hits it. And then later on in the game, you had basically... He gets stuck on a possession where it's late in the shot clock. He's got two guys over him, on him rather, just finishes over Jaron Jackson Jr., the defensive player of the year. Then he had a great block on a Bain drive where he came off his guy. Then he blocked Zaire Williams at the cup, which was just ridiculous. He had 
a block on Aldama when he was trailing Aldama, just an unbelievable block. And then one of the things you notice is he came into tonight eight of 10 on cuts, and he was certainly cutting tonight. He gets to the line on a cut where Jalen finds him. Unreal catch, too, to make it 100-100. That, that catch that he made was ridiculous. Like Actually, that was from Tatum. Ridiculous catch on that play. And then it's 102-100. After Porzingis goes to the line, he hits both free throws to make it 102-100. 102-100 on the other side, he gets a switch on Bain, and he holds up on Bain, and Bain's like trying to go by him. Then he heads back towards the three-point line. He airballs a three. This is a guy that had been lighting the Celtics up, so that was a nice defensive possession. He was awesome. And then, of course, as I mentioned, he ends the game with the block, and I just thought this was kind of appropriate. The best player on the floor tonight, I mean, I guess you could argue Bain, but the best player on the floor tonight for the Celtics was Kristaps Porzingis. And Kristaps Porzingis was traded for Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, of course, not available tonight dealing with the injury. He's on the bench in Memphis watching this guy do that. And I have to imagine, I know Smart was catching up with a lot of guys before the game and everybody was saying great stuff about Smart. I heard on the broadcast, Drew Carter mentioned the fact that Tatum said, or Scal mentioned it too, like, it's tough to love Marcus Smart at first, but you got to get used to it, like, because he's so demanding and he is very outspoken, all that different type of stuff. But everybody was like saying how much they love Marcus and how much he meant to the organization. And then you watch the game, it's like, hmm, yeah, the seven foot guy, kind of worth the trade, wasn't it? <laughs> he's the best player on the court for the Celtics late. So I thought it was just kind of ironic that Marcus Smart in his new building, who we talk about Porzingis and his health issues and knock on wood, he stays healthy for the season. But Smart's another guy that's had health issues throughout his career. Porzingis is on the court being the best player for the Celtics. Marcus is sitting for the Memphis Grizzlies. And I know they're dealing with a lot of stuff, the John Morant suspension. He's on one of the worst teams in the NBA and the Celtics got Porzingis. You would do that trade a million times over again based on what Porzingis can provide for this team, just the different things he brings. Like tonight, it was the shot blocking, which was phenomenal. And he's getting to the free throw line, which he continues to do. So if you just think about this from Porzingis, just to get into a little metric man breakdown of why he's been so effective this season, like that was just an awesome game to watch. Like not an entertaining game, but an awesome Porzingis game to watch because he was just doing so many different things. So Porzingis on the season, this is via cleaning the glass. 74% of his shots from the field are coming either at the rim or from three-point territory. That's a large number. So almost three-fourths of his shots are either at the rim or threes. Last year, that number was at 55%. So a huge jump, right? We're talking about in terms of the percentage points, almost 20 percentage points higher. And those are the shots you want to take. So if you look at it, entering tonight, and I think he had five tonight, but he had nine dunks entering tonight. That was tied for 13th in the NBA. He was tied for 27th last year at 83, and he played 65 games. So if you take that, so say he plays 65 games, I hope he plays more than that, but let's say the number is 65. So if you look at his pace from this year, he would end the season with 137 dunks compared to the 83 he had last year. So that would be a 54 dunk increase, if you will. Players over 137 last year, which that would be the number if he continues on this pace. And if he plays more than 65, he's going to have more than that. Anthony Davis, Bam, Capella, Duran, KJ Martin, Jared Allen, Aaron Gordon, basically he gets all those cuts. Nick Claxton, who only dunks. Giannis, Rudy Gobert. 
Like th- that's the list of the guys that <laughs> are getting all these opportunities at the rim, right? And Mobley, Evan Mobley, that's the last one I should mention there. That's the neighborhood that he's currently living in in terms of his pace on dunks. So it's just, you look at it too, those dunks prior to tonight are 17.2% of his field goal attempts. That number was at 9.5 last year. So 7.7% percentage points in terms of the increase. That's massive, right? And he's also taking 5.3 free throws to game. Like I said, he was living at the line again tonight. So it's dunks, it's threes, and it's free throws. And it's such a weapon. We've seen him bail this team out of possessions, whether it's with deep threes that we've seen in other games, or a couple of times tonight, Jalen's just throwing it up to him and he's dunking it and he's making these amazing catches. So the shot profile for Porzingis is basically like the analytics wet dream. That's what all the analytic people want you to do. Free throws, dunks slash layups. In the case of Porzingis, all his layups are basically dunks and threes. Like he is the perfect player for the analytical community right now. And he's been awesome. I mean, he took over that game late with all the stuff he was doing. Okay, so that's one guy I wanted to mention. I also wanted to mention Pritchard because it's nice to see him get a few jump shots go down. I don't know what's going on with him at the free throw line tonight, but nonetheless, he finishes with just the seven points, but he hit a long two. And he hit a three. And that's an area that he's been struggling this year in terms of his shooting. I think eventually that's going to turn around because he's too good of a shooter to continue to shoot like south of 30% from three-point territory. He's better than that, right? I mean, we can all agree on that. His first two years in the NBA, he's a 40% three-point shooter. I believe that's going to get better. I will say this, though. Even though he hasn't found his shot, he is contributing, right? On the season, he was entering tonight averaging 1.3 offensive rebounds per game. If you look at the numbers, the Celtics with Pritchard on the floor, this is via cleaning the glass, they have their offensive rebounding percentage is 33.6%. That's in the 91st percentile. This is your, this is a point guard, okay? It goes up, the on-off differential there, 11.4 percentage points. That's in the 99th percentile. So the increase from Pritchard on the court to off the court, like the increase when he comes on the court. It's over 11 percentage points in terms of the offensive rebounding percentage. He's a point guard. It doesn't make any sense, right? You look at the second chance points per 100 possessions. With Pritchard on the court, 21.5 per 100. Golden State ranks first at 18.7. Again, with Pritchard on the court, that number's at 21.5. With him off, that number's at 11.4 second chance points per 100 possessions. Only four teams are south of (laughs) 11.4. So you would think about this, like, this used to be like a Robert Williams stat. Like, when Robert Williams is on the court, the offensive rebounding rate went through the roof. When he was off the court, it went down. Now that guy is, what, your six-foot backup point guard. And, like, I know I say, like, this shouldn't be the case, but you can see why, right? He always, like, he'll come in from the corner and get one. Like, if it's a three, he's always crashing the boards. This has been an emphasis of the Celtics this year, crashing the offensive glass and all that. He just has a nose for being able to get in there and get these offensive rebounds, and he's creating extra possessions for this team. So it's the activity level of Peyton Pritchard, even though he's not shooting the ball well. The activity level is there, and it comes out in the impact metric. So if you look at it on the season, a 126.2 offensive rating with Pritchard on the court, that's in the 98th percentile, a 104.6 defensive rating, 95th percentile, a plus 21.6 net rating within the court in the 99th percentile. So that defensive rating, look, they have a ton of great defensive players. I'm not telling you the defensive rating is that good solely because of Peyton Pritchard when he's on the court, but part of it is this. He puts pressure on the ball, right? He's always pressuring the ball, and you see a lot of times, now the Celtics have loved to use this press. 
But Pritchard gets up in you, and he does a great job getting around screens. So I think his activity level on defense has been great. The offensive rebounding has been really good, and he's starting to push the ball in transition. I just think it's a matter of time before the shot starts falling, and then he can really contribute even more, right? Like the only place it's not showing up right now, it's showing up in all the impact metrics. The only area it's not showing up is in his shooting, and I truly believe that that's going to get better. Hopefully tonight, hitting a few will sort of get him going. Now that on-off differential in terms of with Pritchard on the court compared to off the court, it goes up 11.3 percentage points in terms of the net rating. That's in the 82nd percentile. So he is contributing in a major way to this team, even though he can't get a shot to go down. I want the shot to go down. Like I keep saying, like I'm saying tonight, I'm still confident it's going to go down. Hopefully this is the start of something for Pritchard. All right, the other guy I wanted to get to is Hauser because man, he is on fire. It's getting ridiculous. 22 minutes, he had 15 points. He's a game high plus 17. He hits five of his seven threes. So the six games prior to tonight, 21 of 42, that's 50% on threes. The 21 makes in his last six games tied for the seventh most during that stretch. Attempts during that six game stretch, 42, that was 25th. So he's seventh in makes, yet he was 25th in attempts. So now in his last seven games after this one against Memphis, He's 26 of 49. That's 53.1%. So this three-point shooting, he is getting wide open looks and you give the guys around him a ton of credit for that, right? But you need these spacers that can hit open shots. At some point, guys are going to come off, are going to have to come out off their defender to help on a Jalen drive, come off their defender to help on a Jason Tatum drive. Same thing with they're going to have to double on Porzingis if he gets the ball on the block, right? So all these guys create mismatches and... One of the beneficiaries of this is going to be Hauser, and he is shooting the shit out of the ball. And I've said this before, I give Missoula a ton of credit. I give Missoula a ton of credit because he sticks with the guy, right? I mean, I, I even thought like, I don't know, can, can he be a consistent shooter? He sticks with the guy. You can tell the confidence is there. There is no hesitation. He gets the ball, boom, that thing is going up. So I thought he was awesome in this game tonight. And this is another thing that has been huge for the Celtics over this winning streak that they've had, right? They haven't lost since... What, they lost that game to Philadelphia a week ago last Wednesday. Okay, so then there's Drew where it wasn't a crazy scoring night for Drew. And that play at the end of the game, I don't know what he's doing there, trying to dunk at the end. I mean, that was sort of mind-numbing. I also don't know why Tatum was passing it to him there. That was just a weird thing. But on the night, he has four assists. He has six rebounds. And besides the weird trying to dunk late, he made some really nice plays down the stretch. All in all, I thought... Early in the game, he had a nice spin move around Biombo to make it 4-0, but one of the things that sticks out to me, I mentioned the six boards. He got a rebound, and he throws it to Pritchard at the other basket. Now, unfortunately, Pritchard couldn't get a layup in that particular situation, kind of lost it on the catch, or lost it when he was going up, but these hit-ahead passes, this is what's so good about Drew as a rebounder, is first of all, he can make those hit-ahead passes, or like we saw on the following possession, he got a rebound. He grabbed it, pushed the ball down the court, and found Jalen for an open three. Now, unfortunately, Jalen missed the shot, but think about that. Those are two shots, a layup and a three, that are created by Drew Holiday getting rebounds, and in one case, the hit-ahead pass, and in a different case, driving the length of the court and finding an open player. So his rebounding actually really helps you on the offensive side of the floor as well, because your point guard already, or one of your point guards, uh, depending on how you want to say Drew Holiday, Derek White, they're both essentially point guards. But the point being is you have a ball handler handling the ball, and he has great vision on those hit-ahead passes. That's great to see. But he made some clutch plays down the stretch. 
86-84, the Celtics are trailing. He gets an offensive rebound. He finds Jalen. That ties it up at 86. 89-86, he had an unreal contest on Bain. Where Bain's trying to shake him, he can't go by him, so he settles for sort of like a fadeaway. And Drew Holiday's contest, he's like right in Bain's face. Unbelievable. Then he hits a three to make it 94-89, and he found White for a wide open three to make it 98-95. So he was really good in this game outside of that decision late. And I, like he didn't score a lot, but he contributed. So the other thing I'd mention is too, like entering this game tonight, he had six tonight, which is below his season average on rebounds. 7.6 is his average. That is third among players that spend the majority of their time at guard. So the only guys that are considered to be guards that average more rebounds per game than Drew Holiday, Ben Simmons and Luka. And those guys are huge, right? They're both 6'8 or taller in the case of Ben Simmons. So that rebounding, it's not just the stat that he's filling up the stat sheet consistently. It's the fact that he's starting the break, the head-to-head passes. His rebounding has been a major weapon for this team early this year. Okay. So that's what I got for tonight's game. I thought, not the best win in the world, but a win nonetheless. Like in previous years, you probably lose that game. But I wanted to get to trying to figure out who this team reminds me of, of the recent teams or whenever, like throughout the history of Boston sports, who they remind me of. So it obviously isn't the 2007 Patriots because that comparison would be the Curry-Durant Warriors, right? Now, that Patriots team didn't win it, like the Curry-Durant Warriors won it twice in a row, but the feeling with both those teams was, hey, they're unbeatable, Brady and Moss joining up, like one of the greatest receivers in the history of the sport, with the greatest quarterback in the sport, and then Durant joining a 73-win team with a guy that had just won two MVPs. He himself was a former MVP, right? (laughs) You're putting together two scoring champs and two MVPs, and so you can't really compare this Celtics team to the 07 Patriots, that's the Warriors comparison, right? And look, Denver may be better than the Celtics. They're the reigning defending NBA champs. And yes, they have this Murray injury going on right now, and they lost to New Orleans the other night, and they lost tonight to Cleveland. They're playing young guys. Maybe this helps them in the long run, but you can't say that the Celtics are definitely better than the Nuggets right now. And Jokic is the best player in the world. So I'm not comparing them to the 2007 Patriots that went 16 and all that. 16 and 0, rather. But I do think they kind of sort of remind me of the 2004 Red Sox for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was addition by subtraction. And I know this has sort of been like picking on Marcus Smart tonight. But at the deadline in 04, you trade Nomar. You needed to do that. He was becoming a problem. He said he couldn't play every day. He's, he's upset about his contract. He's really Then he's talking about his injuries, even though he's upset about his contract. The Celtics needed to move on from Marcus Smart, right? The shot selection was bad, and you needed to change the leadership dynamic. He was the biggest voice in the room, and it needed to change. And then the other thing is, so you get rid of Marcus Smart. The other thing is this. That offseason, the Red Sox traded for Kurt Schilling. You needed a guy with championship experience. I mean, we all know lately he's been a scumbag with the Tim Wakefield situation. And unfortunately, after Tim Wakefield had passed away, I remember he had put the news out that he was sick and the Red Sox had to issue a statement. Tim Wakefield and his family had to put out a statement. So that was obviously a horrendous decision by Kurt Schilling to put that out there. But going back to 04, you needed a guy with championship experience that could put you over the top to go along with Pedro and Derek Lowe, right? Like you needed somebody else. So Porzingis is that sort of guy, right? Where you're looking at it, or I should say, Porzingis, I would compare more to the Cabrera-Mankiewicz combination, right? Because 
he brought you something you didn't have, which is he brought you a, those guys, Orlando Cabrera in particular, in particular, brought you elite level defense. And Porzingis, like that's not what Nomar was at that time. Porzingis brings you a ton of unique stuff, right? Nomar that year in 2004 was minus 12 defensive runs saved, which was 31st of 34 shortstops. He was, by the way, right in front of Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, all these gold gloves, eh, not, not warranted. But anyway, getting back to my original point, Cabrera that year was seventh at seven defensive run saves. So it was a 19 run swing, right? And so Porzingis, what he brings is a different element defensively. We mentioned even in tonight's game, the, sh- the six blocks. Smart's a great defender, but Porzingis is different, right? He's a rim protector. He blocks shots. And the other thing, the difference that Porzingis brings, like Cabrera and Mankiewicz brought defense, Unlike Marcus, he's a good shooter, right? So Porzingis entered Sunday 38.5% from threes. Mark, uh, Marcus Smart, rather, 29.5%. So nine percentage points in terms of the difference. So, and this is on top of what he brings schematically, right? The screening, the rolling, the spacing, all these stuff that Marcus can't provide, the pick and pop ability, right? So that's where I look at, okay, you needed something different. The Red Sox needed a good defensive player, an elite defensive player at shortstop, they got one in Orlando Cabrera, and they got rid of the headache that was Nomar. The Celtics got rid of the headache that was Marcus Smart and taking all these threes, and they brought in a guy like Kristaps Porzingis that was just happy to be here, happy to play on a contending team to the point where he opted into the contract, so he was actually going to make less money than he could have made on the open market, and he brings a difference, right? He's an elite shot blocker, spacing, all that different type of stuff. So it's a different player and a different player type, and he can provide you something different than Marcus Smart. That's what Orlando Cabrera brought in 04, something different than what Nomar could provide, which Nomar, it was a headache, and he at that point in time was a bad defensive player. And then I would compare the Drew element to Schilling, where you look at a championship experience, right? Schilling in that World Series in 2001, when he went up against the Yankees, three games, 21 and a third, 169 ERA, he gave up four earned in 21 and a third, right? And he got the World Series MVP with Randy Johnson. So he was like the one of the main reasons they won that championship, him and Randy Johnson. Well, Drew Holiday had a game with 27 points and 13 points, or excuse me, 27 points and 13 assists in a finals win. He had seven assists in all seven finals games. He averaged 9.3 assists, including, as we mentioned, that 13 assist game in the finals. So you think about that. It's all right. Well, let's get a guy that's done it right. Even though we have other stars on our team, let's go get a guy that's done it before. And that's what Drew Holiday has provided. Right. And I do think that both organizations. In the case of the Celtics still are, but the Red Sox and the Celtics both facing a ton of pressure, right? The Sox, they went to Game 7. They lost to the Yankees. They missed out on the whole A-Rod thing. You had to win. And it took the greatest comeback of all time to actually finish the job. But it was a lot of pain before you could erase the curse, right? And it's the same thing about this team, right? Where you look at it in terms of, it's kind of like the Celtics with Tatum and Brown, where Pedro, Lowe, Ortiz, Manny, Johnny Damon, it's a loaded team that had went through a lot of pain together. And you look at the Celtics team, it's Tatum and Jalen Brown, and to a lesser extent, Derek White. You just needed to add the right pieces around these guys. And that's where I look at the similarities between the Red Sox and the Celtics, the guys we pointed out, bringing in Drew and Porzingis, bringing in Kurt Schilling, right? Bringing in Orlando Cabrera at the trading deadline. 
But I do think if they lose in 2004, the Red Sox, especially the way that it was going, we may have seen changes with the organization. And with this Celtics team, they may need changes at some point down the road. Now, I want to enjoy the season, right? But I'm just thinking about worst case scenario, right? What if they end up losing in six games to Milwaukee? Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but just play along here. What if they get upset by Miami? Whatever it is in terms of the final step this year, if it's not a trip to the NBA Finals, I do think that that's going to be deemed a failure for this organization considering we talked about how stacked this starting five is, how loaded this team is all in all. I do think we'll look at this and say, yeah, it's a failure if they don't make it to the NBA Finals. And if that Red Sox team didn't finally get over the hump and beat the Yankees in the postseason, we would have deemed it a failure, right? So Tatum and Jalen, man, they've been at this a while. We have Go back in history with these two guys. Their first year together, Tatum's rookie season, seven-game series against the Cavs when these guys were babies in their NBA career, basically, right? When Tatum dunked on LeBron and mean-mugged them. Then we have the whole Kyrie debacle, and you had the loss to the Bucks in there. Then you had the Heat loss in the bubble. And then we had them taking a step back where they lost to the Nets in the first round. Jalen ends up getting hurt that year. Then we have the trip to the finals with the Warriors. And then you have the loss to the Heat last year. So we're talking about four deep runs. And we're talking about so many different teammates and supporting cast. So many different roles. We're talking about the Kyrie mess, coming in early, having success. Bringing in Ime, not having Ime. Bringing in Joe Mazzulla. Like, these guys have gone through a lot together when we're talking about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And you think about this. How many guys have... Besides like this recent Warriors core, the Spurs, the Heat for that four-year run, you don't have a lot of guys that spend this much time together in terms of making deep playoff runs, right? At least in the recent history of the NBA. Yeah, sure. You go back to the 80s when you had the Celtics and the Lakers and the 90s with the Bulls, you have a lot of the same teams, but you don't see it as often nowadays with the mobility of players, even if you look at it. So that's what? One finals trip and it's four conference finals already together for Jalen and Jason Tatum. If you look at the big three of KG, Pierce, and Ray, two final strips, three conference final strips together. That's it, right? The two Lakers finals, of course, and then the loss to the Heat in 2012, which basically ended that group where Ray ended up going to Miami. So that Sox team that we made the comparison to, if they didn't have the win in 04, we could have seen big changes. Now, eventually things would go south for them, right? Like, now they won another championship in 07, but that core, like, Pedro ended up going to the Mets. He had the whole Manny saga at the end, but that team needed to win, and they kept them together for a couple of years after that. With this team, and because of the financial implications with the second apron coming forward, it may just be a one- or two-year window with Porzingis, with Derek White, with Drew Holiday, with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, with all five of them. This is probably only going to be a two-year window. It's going to be very difficult to keep these guys together for three to four years, right? So I want to see these guys do it together, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I mean by that, before you sort of have to separate them. Because I do think if you're just looking at this realistically, economically, and I don't want to rain on the Celtics parade right now because they're the best team in the NBA at the moment, eventually it feels like Jalen is going to be elsewhere because you're not going to be able to have all these contracts on the books going forward and you're never going to trade Jason Tatum, right? So at some point you do think eventually... You're going to have to move on from Jalen. Now, we don't want to think about this at this particular point, but I do think it's an interesting comparison when you think about what the two teams or where the two teams are at. The Red Sox had to go over the hump. They add Kurt Schilling. They add Orlando Cabrera. 
With the Celtics, hey man, we've been close, but we can't have these shitty offensive performances in the postseason. Let's get Porzingis, who's like nobody else we've had, and is really one of the more unique players in the NBA. And I'm not saying he's one of the best, but he's really unique, right? A seven foot two guy that can hit threes, can score in the post, block shots. You don't have a lot of guys like that. And let's get somebody like Schilling with championship experience that plays well in big games. You bring in a guy like Drew Holiday. So I do think it's an interesting comparison. And I do think this Celtics group, especially Tatum and Brown, and to a lesser extent, Missoula as the head coach of the team, there's a lot of pressure on these guys to get it done. Just like there was a lot of pressure on Pedro and Manny and Dave, Manny probably didn't feel any pressure, but you get the point. David Ortiz, Johnny Damon, these guys get over the hump. I think it's sort of similar to what the Celtics are dealing with right now. All right, I did want to mention one unfortunate news item from over the weekend. Milan Lucic has taken a leave of absence from the team. The Bruins released a statement regarding the alleged domestic incident involving Lucic on Friday. The Bruins said this, the Boston Bruins are aware of the situation involving Milan Lucic Friday evening. Milan has taken an indefinite leave of absence from the team. The organization takes these matters very seriously and will work with the Lucic family to provide any support and assistance they may need. We'll have no further comment at this time. He's scheduled to be arraigned on Monday. Multiple outlets have reported Lucic's wife called 911 when her husband allegedly attacked her and choked her. Police said Lucic appeared to be drunk when the officers responded. Brad Marchand is the captain of the team, and other guys were asked about it too before the win over Montreal. Marchand said, it's tough to see your teammate and your friends going through stuff like this and their family. Definitely worried about Lucic himself, but also the family. They have all the support in the world. Anything they need, we're going to be here for them. So, you expect Marshawn to say the right thing, and he did there, worried about the family, worried about Lucic, but it's just a horrible situation, and you have to, of course, let the legal process play out here, but this seems like a really bad situation. You feel horrible right now for the wife and the family, of course, and I just look at this from a Bruins perspective. I just can't imagine he's back on the team this season. This was a cool story, having Lucic come back on the team and having his career end here in Boston after bringing a guy back from the 2011 Stanley Cup team, but... If what is alleged happen, you just can't have him be part of the organization going forward. There is no place for that within the organization. So I wouldn't expect to see him back on the team at any point this season. Like I said, you have to let the legal process play out, but I would not expect him to be back with the Bruins this year. So that was unfortunate news that came out over the weekend. All right, a lot more to get into. Jamie's going to join us in a little bit. We'll get into some of our bets. We'll get into an email as well. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? Did you enjoy your non-Patriot Sunday? Was it fun? I loved it, Brian. It was fun, man. No misery. All happiness. And we almost had misery. The Celtics had to squeak that one out. Sure. But hey, no misery. Win's a win. No doubt about that. All right, so we do want to get into an email. But before we do that, Jamie, yeah, I got to give you an update on the tank. Mm. So the Giants... If you haven't noticed, if you haven't looked at your phone, if you weren't watching, <laughs> watching Red Zone today, they beat the Commanders. That puts the Patriots up to number three at the moment in the tank bowl or in the tanking yeah. seating, if you will. They have the number three pick in the draft, which means the tank bowl against Tommy DeVito <laughs> is looming. Okay, uh, some updates. Green Bay also won. They were sneakily getting yeah. into the tank area. They beat the Chargers. And Brandon Staley, this guy is an idiot. He's up there after the game saying, hey, I'm calling defensive plays the rest of the season. It's like, great, man. I mean, you're, you're, co- you're, you're done. Okay, but anyway, so Green Bay, they're now up to four wins. So you mm-hmm. have two on them. The Bears, man, they put up a fight. I really thought they had a chance <sighs> They should have won there. that game. Yeah, they blew it. Yeah, Lions blew come it. back. They win in the fourth quarter, 31 to 26. Carolina, of course, could not win. That's they terrible. stink. Yeah. Frank Reich's going to be one and done. I mean, there's no chance he's back. He's horrible. They got killed 33 to 10. And, of course, the Bears have that pick anyway. It's just embarrassing all around for Carolina. Mm. Arizona put up a fight. They lost late to the Texans, 21-16, to 16, okay? And the thing about Arizona is they have a chance, man. They have a chance to pick up, pick up a couple wins here because they do have Kyler Murray back in the fold. So right now, the Patriots are behind just Carolina, whose pick is going to the Bears, and the Cardinals. And right. like we said, the Cardinals have a chance to win some games. So that Giants loss was huge. So you got to make sure you lose to them next week. And maybe it's not going to be as difficult as I thought because the Commanders, I thought, I mean, that's a they team beat that us. has been, yeah, they beat the Patriots. So if you do the math on that, that means the Giants should beat the Patriots. I mean, at least that's my <laughs> math. And then if you look at the Patriots the rest of the year, Chargers still fighting, they get them. So the Giants one is the big one. Yeah. Steelers who stink on all, I, th- this team's got like a negative point differential and they right. came into the day six and three, they lose to Cleveland, what, 13 to 10. But the Patriots are not going to score on that defense. I mean, come on. No, and then you have Kansas anything. City. Kansas City's going to have, and it's Kansas City. I mean, right. I don't have to say that one. Denver's playing better football. Then you have Buffalo, and you have the Jets. Now, maybe the Jets is a possibility, but I, I know the Patriots beat them the first time 15-10, to 10, and they've owned the Jets historically, but yeah. I don't know how you're moving the ball on that defense. The one <laughs> touchdown they had in that game is the Farrell Brown play where you kind of caught him off guard. So all things considered, like if we were looking for – a successful bye week? We got it. Yeah, the Giants bad. won a football game. Now, <laughs> don't beat the Giants. Okay, don't beat them. That's all you got to do. Tommy DeVito. The path is clear. Tommy DeVito, my Syracuse guy, coming through. <laughs> Syracuse fire in their head. Football coach, that's neither here nor there. Probably a good thing. But Tommy DeVito played hero for the Patriots today. He looked okay. He looked kind of scrappy. I mean, certainly scrappier than Mac Jones. Like, I got to admit. If the Patriots... Yeah, end up losing to the Giants. Tommy DeVito is going to deserve credit for the Patriots getting <laughs> Caleb Williams or Drake May. Like Both we're going to have to, we're going to have to thank that guy forever because he pulled off the Washington win. If he can now beat the Patriots, then the Patriots even got a cushion, right? Mm-hmm. I want a cushion, Brian. I got to say, I want to keep that winning streak uh, alive against the Jets. So I would love to be able to win that game and not feel bad about it hurting our standing in the draft. You know, that would be a perfect world, but you can't have everything. If we got to lose the Jets, I'll accept it. But I do like that streak. 
So you just hate the Jets so much. That you're like, <laughs> it's, okay. just, it's hilarious. I think it's like seven straight years, seven and a half years at this point. And yeah, you so know what it is? The Broncos beat the Chiefs this year, which was the longest streak. So now the Patriots have the longest win streak against an opponent. Isn't it like since the Obama administration or something? Yeah, like the last I think time Callahan said that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Callahan, right? Like I remember mm-hmm. hearing that somewhere. It may have been on the pod, so it may have yeah. been Callahan. So yeah, that's... Yeah, so you'd like to be in a spot where you're kind of like you've clinched your spot in the in the tankathon, so to speak. I would I would like to be able to beat the Jets and not lose a draft position. I was looking, you know, at the Panther schedule, just wishful thinking, get the one seed. They have a couple games. They play the Titans and the Packers this year. Those are basically the only two I thought somewhat winnable games on their schedule. But um, I'm, I'm going Titans for that. Titans got their ass kicked, huh? The Titans suck. They they're actually sneaky. Someone to watch out for. I think they only have one more win than the Patriots. Yeah, and I think they were contemplating like trading guys like the DeAndre Hopkins of the world and the right. Derrick Henrys of the world. I don't know why I said the DeAndre Hopkins and Derrick Henrys <laughs> of the world. There's only two of them. <laughs> but know. the point being with that is then they had that win with Will Levis. And remember DeAndre Hopkins right. had this outstanding game and they're like, ah, now nah, maybe not. And then they end up losing the Thursday night game right. to the Seals. And it's like, you know what? Maybe we should have traded some guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they kind of got stuck there. That's the only thing. Like that guy like Derrick Henry... Hopkins, they're going to have some pride, but they suck. Yeah, I mean, and what are they at? They're at four wins, I believe. The three or four. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, they're in the mix, too. They're in the mix, too. So, yeah, this this is going to be fascinating to see how this whole thing plays out. That was, man, the Giants thing amazed me. <laughs> All right, so I, I still can't believe it. Tommy DeVito. I, know. I don't know. Like, Ron Rivera, like, he's gone. He's Let's gone. Let's think about it. Ron Rivera is definitely gone. They lost Brandon's, both games to the Giants. Both of them? Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> so Brandon, Brandon Staley's definitely gone. If we're doing like the looking at the coaches on the hot seat right now, Staley's mm-hmm. gone. Rivera's gone. I mean, that was obvious. I thought he could have been gone after last season. But now the fact that you're in a situation where you have new ownership, he's going to be out. Then you start to look at some of these other guys. You said right. Frank Reich, probably. Frank Reich's done. Yeah, yeah. he's gone. We'll see if Antonio, not that Antonio Pierce to get fired because he's interim. He may end up keeping that job. I if, think he I will. Mean, if, and they played decent against the Dolphins. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they gave the Dolphins a game there. Is Matt LaFleur sneaky? I mean, they've been pretty bad. I, I don't know how much you can put on him because Jordan Love just sucks. And it's not his fault. Yeah, he, blows. Like he got drafted before LaFleur even. But um, what about what about Robert Sala? You think they give him another year? I think he could be gone. I, I mean, think he been could been bad be. the entire time he's been there. It's been what, three years, four years? Yeah, and he's he's terrible with the media too. Talking about Zach Wilson, <laughs> he's so yeah. bad, man. He doesn't know how to. And like I think his cliches are all kind of corny too. So that's right. a possible one. Matt Eberflus is going to be out in Chicago. I don't mm-hmm. think you can let that guy be around a young quarterback. And maybe they keep Justin Fields. And then you think about Dennis Allen. If they don't get into the playoffs, that could be another one. I wonder about Todd Bowles. I mean, he's only been there a couple of years. They're four and six. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's pretty much obviously Arizona's not firing their coach after one year. Now, the Rams could possibly open up if McVeigh decides, hey, he this, might quit, I actually, yeah. yeah, like it wouldn't you would never fire McVeigh. But if you wanted to like go into the broadcast booth or something, because remember, he was flirting with that for the past few years and he's got a young kid, maybe says, OK, we were OK this year. Let's make a change. So that could be someone that moves away. But yeah, so I mean, we'll probably get the six or the seven. And then we always have the bill thing, too, that we don't know if Bill's going to be gone or sure. not but man that is the big one carolina is so poorly coached i know they got they two terrible. terrible penalties at the end of the half not that they were going to win that game but man some it's absolutely yeah some horrible horrible penalties 
All right, Jamie, let's get to an email. That email no. address is off the pike at gmail.com. So who do we got today? This is from Lucas in Somerville. He writes, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the Celtics bench. Obviously, the Celtics are standing and more talented than last year. My one concern is that the bench isn't quite deep enough. I know Pritchard and Sam Hauser have been giving us nice minutes off the bench, but do you think we need to go after one more role player to come off the bench as the season moves closer to the playoffs to add some more depth? Or do you think our starting lineup is so good that they'll make up for the lack of depth? I think they'll add a piece. Like, mm. not like they're going to give up something significant for, but I think they'll probably add a piece. I went through some of the guys early. I, Hauser's been fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, he's been awesome. Pritchard, I want to see the shot go in, like I was saying earlier, but some of the other stuff has been good. Horford was really good the previous two games. Like we mentioned it, we t- he was one of the biggest talking points yeah. after the Philly game. He's got some, like, there's something about him against Embiid. Like he has Embiid's number, and he was good in the Toronto game too. So Horford's been good. So basically, you have three off the bench right now when you're talking about Al, Hauser, and Pritchard. We saw Kata get some minutes tonight, and Cornette just, didn't play, yeah. which that's kind of interesting. So let's see if he gets more minutes on Monday. I, w- I hope that eventually Jordan Walsh can at least contribute, but he's still in the G League. I know he had a huge game the other day. Like mm-hmm. he would be great to have some about him. wing, yeah, some wing depth and a guy that can defend. But I bet either on the buyout market or like they have a million second round picks. That's why they collected all these second mm-hmm. round picks because if you remember last year at the trading deadline, everybody was trading second round picks. Like Sadiq Bay went to Atlanta for five second round picks. <laughs> so. You know what I mean? So you may able to be able to get a top eight, nine guy for yeah. some second round picks. I'd, I'd imagine they add something, right? It's not going to be anything major, anything along those lines. Like your starting five is the best starting five in the league. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they add some depth. I think the biggest thing that has surprised me is Pritchard has not shot the ball well. That's the biggest surprise. Like yeah, I thought Pritchard would be similar to what he was his first two years, close to 40%. And we're still early on in the season. Like, he can still certainly break out of this. And as I mentioned earlier, I thought it was a good sign that he hit a long two and a three tonight. But at least he does contribute in other ways. Like, he's a top eight player on the team. There's no doubt about that. Like, it's not like one of these guys, like, and I don't want to compare the players because Hauser has been so good. If Hauser's not hitting shots, he doesn't contribute as much as Pritchard does. Now, Hauser's one skill is way better than anything Pritchard does, right? Like, this guy is an elite jump shooter. He is an elite three-point shooter, right? Like, I mean, the numbers, he's one of the best in the league, and I think he's capable of keeping this up. I just don't want to see the slump like we saw last Mm -hmm. year. Now, obviously, he isn't going to shoot 50% the rest of the season, but he should be somewhere between 40 and 42%, considering the nature of the attempts. They're all of the catch-and-shoot variety, right? He's not taking pull-up threes or anything. He can shoot off movement a little bit, but he's not taking pull-up threes. He... He rarely dribbles. Like, he tried to take a two tonight. He got blocked at the rim. So we don't see a lot of that <laughs> yeah. from uh, from Sam Hauser. So his elite skill is better than Pritchard's. But yeah. Pritchard is at least, like, he's giving you other things. I mean, I mentioned yeah. the offensive rebounding. He gives you something defensively with ball pressure. He can push the ball in transition. So mm-hmm. I, I just hope the shooting turns around for him because everything else has been good. And he's giving you the proper effort that you expect. But I would say one little tweak, one little move. and Unless, like, they just think eventually Walsh can be a contributor for this team. I I doubt they get there this season with this team considering everything that's on the yeah. line. But so I'd expect one little move at the either at the trading deadline or at the buyout market. What do you, what do you do with five second round picks, Brian? That's why they collected them though. Like remember at yeah, the draft yeah, they kept co- they yeah, they traded out of the, on the roster round. though. <laughs> but, well, um, that's the point. That's why yeah. you collect them all. You collect them to trade them. 
I don't yeah. know why this. I don't know why this has become the trend in the NBA. Yeah, like odd. all the second, it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's just basically they're just commodities. They're just moving the second round picks. Right. I don't know. It's a weird thing. No, I'm with, I think I think they're. I think in a vacuum, this eight player rotation they have is working. Obviously, they're beating all the top teams. They're the best team in the league. I guess the only thing is one is Al Horford going to burn out. I know they're playing him less this year, yeah. but still, got to be. Who's to yeah. say he's old? He's like thirty seven. And then also two is, can you really expect that Porzingis is going to get hurt? I hate to say it, but right. not it's real. Wood. Yeah, but maybe yeah. one other big or something like that. Yeah, you got to be careful with that. I, I'm interested to see what Kata can provide. He's obviously more athletic and he has more yeah. energy than Cornette. I'm not like anti-Cornette. It's just uh, like he, he no, no, they rebound ball. well when he's on the floor, but he can like never grab the ball. Like it's, it's I don't really it's not really it's his weird. fault either, but I just have it burned into my head when Maxi would just run by him every single time. Obviously, Max oh, is extraordinary, yeah. but it is in my brain. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I have to mention this. I almost forgot. What was up with Drake the other night on the Toronto Raptors broadcast? <laughs> he said that Peyton Pritchard looks like a crypto scammer. Like, what does that even mean? I think he was like, Pritchard. he doesn't deserve I it. I think he was. I think maybe he had a couple cocktails. I don't know. Maybe he had it's something Friday else night. at that game. Yeah, it was Friday night in Toronto. Like, awesome city. Been there for a bachelor party. Had a ton mm-hmm. of fun. But. I mean, he's talking about I, what's going on with this team. Nick Nurse is no longer here. I know he's like joking around, but it just seemed like, man, he was having a good time at the Raptors. He's joking around with those guys like, hey, I haven't, I haven't seen you guys in a while. But the crypto scammer thing, like, I don't get it. Like, why? Why does Peyton Pritchard look like a crypto scammer? I'm going to I'm going to need a marinade on that. But he gets points for creativity, at least for his insults. Yeah, that was something. I'm like, what does this even mean? <laughs> All right, so that's the Drake portion of the program. All right, so if you want to leave us an email, it's offthepike at gmail.com. If you want to leave us a voicemail, 617-396-7172, because we will be with you Wednesday night after the Bucks and the Celtics. So, hey, biggest drinking night of the year. You're out at a (laughs) bar watching the game, right? Or you're just hanging at home watching the game, having a couple drinks. You want to leave us a voicemail after that? Go ahead. (laughs) Knock yourself out. Or if you want to leave us an email this week about Mac Jones and... Whatever's going on with the Patriots certainly can. But yeah, I'd like that if we get a couple of drunk. I want some, uh, I want a tankathon email or something. Yeah, tankathon. Yeah, that would be a good one. But yeah, I, w- I would like a couple of voicemails of people watching the <laughs> after the Bucks yeah. game. Hopefully it's a win. Now the Bucks have been playing better. I watched basically, I watched a good portion of the third quarter and the entire fourth quarter of the Bucks and the Mavericks on saturday night oh. yeah right brian you're a loser you're watching in, in, in the nba on saturday and i was taking it easy people i had things to do today but anyway my point being with that is just Kyrie was awesome in that game and i know dallas lost again tonight they lost back-to-back games but luca was awesome in that game grant was really good in that game hit a couple of threes but dame was awesome late in that game yeah. now Giannis had like 30 something but dame was awesome late in that game it feels like they figured some st- stuff out offensively like, I don't know why they're not just running a ton of high pick and roll with Dame. It feels like it's a lot of Giannis, and then Dame went off in the fourth quarter. That's obviously why they got them. But going back to one of the themes of the season of them, they have no fucking idea what they're doing on defense. Now, granted, no. they're playing against a great offensive team, right? Like, as much as we are anti-Kyrie people, right? Like, we don't like Kyrie. Like, Kyrie is not our guy here, and he treated the organization very poorly. Like, you can't stop him. When he got on a roll, yeah. man— Forget about it. And Luca, he's Luca is one of the you know one of the best scorers in the NBA. So it's a tough matchup, but you can just tell. Like even like going back to the Pacers game, and the Pacers are the number one offense in the NBA, but then they had no chance. So that's where I think the Celtics have to make their hey. That's going to be awesome Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. By the way, let me double check on this. I'm pretty sure that game is at home. 
Yeah, it's in the garden. Oh my god, dude! That yeah, place is gonna be rocking. rocking. Oh, people are gonna be having fun too. Yeah. What did Brady get in trouble for? He apologized. They're gonna be lubed up. That's what Brady oh, yeah, said before one of the playoff games or something. <laughs> oh, that building is gonna be electric on Wednesday yeah. night. Yeah. So hey, if you're leaving the garden too, leave us a voicemail mm-hmm. after the game. All right, Jamie. Let's get to a couple of our bets from the weekend. It was not a good weekend for the kid, man. I, I would. This is not a good weekend Happens. for me. So. I had Detroit as the highest scoring team at plus 700. They played like shit. They did end up putting up a lot of points, but they were not the highest scoring team of the weekend. The highest scoring team of the weekend was, let me see here. Somebody had 34 points. The Bills had 32. And let's see here. We had, oh, the Jaguars had 34. They Jaguars are a weird team. They beat up on the mm-hmm. Titans 34 to 13. So, I mean, the Lions were still close. They ended up with They're 31 close. points. And Very that's close. with Jared, Jared Goff having interceptions. And they were fumbling the ball. So I stick mm-hmm. by that take. I mean, <laughs> I didn't win, but I stick by that take. Like, it was not a bad play. I mean, come on. No. Clean it up, Goff. Plus 700. Yeah, worth a shot. And then mm-hmm. my parlay of the week that was plus 392. Two money line picks and two spreads. <laughs> this is bad. Okay, the <laughs> Niners beat the Bucks at home. That happened. Dallas to cover the 10 and a half at Carolina. That happened. Yep. Washington to beat the Giants at home. <clears throat> nope. Detroit to cover the eight and a half against the Bears. No, although they did come close late, but no, they that one too, I'd say going back to my that was good process. The Washington thing, bad process. I overrated the Washington commanders. I guess so. I would have taken that. I'm just too, you know what? Sure. I just like watching Howell for some reason. He's yeah, kind of crazy, man. He's yeah, like fun. he runs into guys, he makes crazy throws. So but yeah, not a good weekend for my NFL picks. Well, that makes uh, one of us, Brian. You were hot, man. You had some. Just went final, Brian. F- final score: Broncos twenty-one, Vikings twenty. Plus two and a half Vikings, right there. Covered it by a hair. And my other boom. Bet. Yeah, I know. Well, I gotta say, just before we move on from that, Josh Dobbs. He's a good quarterback. He's just good. I think he they're is. gonna franchise tag him. Oh, right? franchise tag him. I, okay. Well, I think so, at, at the at the very least, they and I mentioned this with James briefly. At the very least, like you got to bring him back because you don't know maybe. when Kirk Cous- and Kirk Cousins. I don't even think is under contract. I think it's his final year of his contract. So you got to bring him back if you're Minnesota. It's not like you're gonna have a good draft pick, right? right like, so maybe maybe franchise tag is a bit rich, but I, I at least he's gonna. I think he'll get a chance to start somewhere next year. Like he's he's fun to watch too. Like I think he I, he was like second in rushing yards behind Lamar for quarterbacks. Like, yeah, he, he zips around. That's wild, and I mean, he won just like randomly coming off the bench that one game, right? I mean, the game last weekend. But mm-hmm. you know what else is interesting to me? I got to give Sean Payton credit, man. They are now They're five scrappy. and five. They're five and five. They're second in the division, and they actually—not that they're going to win the division—but they beat the Chiefs, right? And you look at it now; they're at least hanging around. They are so right. Right now, you have Houston at six and four, Pittsburgh at six and four, Buffalo at six and five, Indy at five and five, and Denver at five and five. Since he's at five and five too, but Cincinnati they don't have Joe Burrow anymore, done. which is yeah. So look, Denver. If you look at Denver after everybody like was crapping on them after they gave up seventy points, they have winnable games coming up. They play the Browns at yeah. home, winnable. They play the Texans, who the Texans are a good team, but the Broncos are certainly capable of beating the Texans. Chargers, that's a team that they could win now. The Lions game is difficult, but then they have the Patriots, the Chargers, and the Raiders. Like, Denver, yeah, no, after all this, in. 
After the way that it started, the worst defense in NFL history. They're giving up 70 points. They may actually get in. Like, they have a legit chance. It's because of their defense, too. Like, their offense sucks, and they just win these ugly games. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> today they had, they had uh, what, four, four field goals in the fourth quarter to win by one point. But it works. Yeah, whatever it takes, man. But a lot of people owe Sean Payton an apology for how this season started. Maybe me included. Him. Yeah, well, well, remember like Nathaniel Hackett, this guy was based there praising him like crazy because Sean Payton, you know what, actually, Sean Payton may have been right about that. He shouldn't have said it, but he may have been right about that. Look at the Jets offense. The Jets, look, Zach Wilson stinks. He sucks. The Jets said today, hey, let's, what did they put him up in the booth instead of having him on the field? Like Nathaniel Hackett's so bad, they're switching up his position to see if he can see the field better. Him and the quarterback, man. He's a trash coach, although I would say even though Payton's done a good job with him, Russell Wilson is definitely washed. He sucks. Yeah, he's been better this year than last year, I'll say Maybe that. so. Actually, yeah, yeah, he's okay, sad line. Like, today. some of his, I, I nu- his numbers his numbers are pretty good. Yeah, I, I stand corrected. He had a 106 yeah, rating a- tonight. Yeah. All right, what was but your other picks? My other picks. The Vikings? Okay, the Vikings covered by one and a half points on a two and a plus two and a half spread. And then I had the Texans minus four and a half against the Cardinals. They they won by five by the skin wow. of my teeth. But it should have been way higher, honestly. Like Stroud, I don't know I, if he just lost focus or what. He threw a couple of bad picks in the fourth quarter. I think one of them was in the red zone, at least. So they, they had that game, I thought, in hand, basically. So two for two this week, which felt good. Nice, what man. That, Brian? I like it. Yeah. Oh, for two yeah. for me. Two for two for you. You got you got your parlays, man. Yeah. One safe bet out of you next week. Yeah, we'll be, we'll bounce back. Hopefully on Thanksgiving, we'll bounce back on Thanksgiving. Yeah, so we'll have to give out on Wednesday. When oh we yeah, do. that'll be fun. Yeah, we'll give out some early picks on Wednesday, and well, I mean we'll have a full pod after the Celtics and the Bucks game, which is going to be. Awesome. I looked it up, Brian. Not great games on Thanksgiving. I thought they weren't that bad. What do we have? We have Cowboys in see. Washington. I should know. I just made. It's like Packers, Lions, Washington, okay. Dallas. I guess San Francisco, Seattle is pretty good, but I, I, I like the like the first couple of games more than the last game. You know? Yeah, yeah. One yeah of I like my that twelve thirty game. Yeah, one of my brothers is home from um, back in Massachusetts from North Carolina. Tell me, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we get the Egg Bowl on too. Ole Miss and <laughs> Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I'm like, yeah, sure. Can't wait to watch that, man. That's on. That's on Thanksgiving. Yeah, they play every Thanksgiving. I night. didn't know that. Although you know what, it actually, their Ole Miss is what thirteenth in the country. They played a crap. I forget who they even played Saturday. They played a crappy team, but that is like a legit fun rivalry game because huh. Missis- Mississippi State is just they hate each other. Those two teams, they yeah. hate each other. But I'll definitely be more interested in San Francisco and Seattle that night yeah, than it will be. That's the best Ole game Miss for and, sure. Unless like something's going on, right? Like unless we get some you know shenanigans. Happening, you got right? the, like, the the dual TVs though, Brian, right? Oh yeah. Well, I'll see. I mean, I don't know. Well, I don't know if I'll be home. Depends sure. on how late the Thanksgiving festivities go. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, no. I'll be home because that's a late game, right? I mean, what time? That game's at like eight twenty, right? The, the are you in the... an early eater on Thanksgiving? Um, I don't know. Like, I think what is it normally like three o'clock? Maybe. I guess so. Like my family just does normal six seven p.m. dinner, but yeah, I feel like most people eat during the daylight. Yeah. I'm supposed to go somewhere between one and uh, going to my uncle's between one and two, my uncle and my aunt's house. So I'm guessing that that means three ish. Okay. I'm not a big eater to begin with, though. I don't require much nourishment. I'm not a I'm not a large (laughs) man. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
You need some never... uh, refreshments, though, perhaps. Yeah, maybe an adult soda or two. Who knows? It's there Thanksgiving, man. We'll be watching. It's going to be fun, though, watching football all day. You know what I mean? Even mm-hmm. even if the games stink. And you, normally, and I'm not a big college basketball guy, you get a lot of college basketball games going on, too. So it'll be fun. Have a yeah. little fun with FanDuel on Thanksgiving. Mark yeah, that'll definitely spice things two. up a bit. Yeah, maybe throw some darts around. All right. And pigskin. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe some cornhole. I get in my own head, man. Like, I'll, I'll be on fire for, like, you know, a round or two, and then it's like, I just miss everything, you, you know? got to tune out the noise. Like Pritchard Certainly out there. True. Yeah, maybe. Pritchard starts hitting shots. Maybe I'll be good <laughs> at Cornhole. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.